Hey, what's up, what's up, everybody? Thank you for coming back to another episode of The One Man Show. I'm your host, Kay Salozzi. All right, guys, how's everybody doing today? Here we are, another day in Corvallis, Oregon, and we have brought back Dr. Frank Bernary to the show. Welcome back to the show. Thanks. Nice to be here. Yeah, yes. thank you for coming back. Last week, we had an awesome, awesome conversation and episode. Uh, talked to a lot of people. A lot of people have listened to it, got a lot of positive feedback, and uh, super grateful for it, man. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to, to come here and talk about that. Oh, you're welcome. I love talking psychology. Uh, last week, we ended it on um, talking about uh, confidence and talking about how self-esteem and self-efficacy is they're all correlated but yet mm-hmm. separate and different um, and so I told the listeners that we were going to be talking about the uh, six mechanisms of influence yeah and uh, but what I want to do really this this episode is I kind of want to talk about um, this book that you had me uh, kind of look at um, called uh, it's called influence mm-hmm. um, by dr. Bob Cialdini from the Arizona State University and uh, you know it's, it's super interesting the stuff that I had uh, read about out, um, there briefly was was really compelling stuff. Yeah, and yeah. so uh, we're going to go ahead and just dedicate this episode to that book and talk about some of the interesting and awesome things that are found within it because it's basically about. Uh, well, you know, I'll let you talk about it a little bit. What is this book yeah. about? Well, I like just to, a summary. So I like to pitch it as the psychology class. If you're only going to take one, okay. right? If if you just want to know a little bit about psychology mm-hmm. to impact your entire life, this is the one to take because. Oh, so this is a class as well, not just a book. Oh, it's not. It's yeah, uh, yeah. I'll be teaching a, a class on on this book, but oh. the but the book is fantastic. It's a how to be successful book. That's one way to to look at it. So it's like a self help book. Uh, not self help book. It's more of a manipulation and influence book. Okay. In other words, if you're going to define success as making people uh, think what you think uh-huh. and making people do what you want them to do. Uh, that could be buying a product, right, if you're in sales, or it could be a parent wanting their child to follow their, you know, instructions. Say and, no more. Sign me up. There yeah. you go. There you go. No, <laughs> no. So, so it's no, basically continue. how to, uh, yeah. how to, how to um, influence people. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so let's start off with um, what are the six mechanisms of influence? Okay. Well, they're, they're, um, all of these mechanisms, by the way, they okay. come from social psychological theory, right? So there's a lot of social scientists that are trying to understand what makes people tick, um, not in an emotional sense, but in a behavior sense. Why do we do things? Why do we choose the jobs? Why mm. do we make that uh, incidental purchase at the store? Interesting. Why do we think um, inoculations might be good or bad, right? So, so psychology has, has been studying this kind of stuff for 50, 60 years. And there is a theme that was we were very slow to pick up on, hmm. but now it's just incredible and mind blowing. And when and you that, say we, you uh, mean, psychologists, social okay. scientists, yeah, right on, yeah. And the 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 theme is that if you want to understand people, you can get a long way by assuming, making the assumption. Okay. And here it comes. There is no free will. We're walking around like robots that are programmed. Interesting. And if you know the program, you can push the buttons, flip the switches, and get people to do what you want to do. So that's the premise. That's mind-blowing. I don't necessarily believe that, but it is true if you start with that approach, you can be incredibly effective in the classroom, in marketing, et cetera. So so you're kind of telling me that like... 
if is it like a recognizing different personality traits and then and then it's the exact opposite. It's the opposite. It, yeah, opposite. yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's like treating everyone as if they were constructed by the same robotics firm. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. And this is a, like like globally, Glo- like humans from cross cultures and religions. Absolutely. Now the cultures do impact kind of the effectiveness or what the you know the conditions, the context that that it operates, but. Fundamentally, human beings have these same kind of um, reflexes. That's okay. how, what you call them, the reflexes. They're programmed behavioral responses. So okay. the key is just identifying them and tricking and uh, triggering them. Well, let's uh, start with the first mechanism. What's the first mechanism? Yeah, well, uh, the... It, are prob- they all, like, they have to be kind of, like, intertwined? No, 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 no. They, they're all, they all work separately. They can okay. all work um, in, in competition or in cooperation with each other. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're different. So uh, one is just liking. It's liking. Yeah, liking. And so this is, is the most obvious in terms of sales or marketing. And this principle simply is... If someone, if you get someone to feel good, to be attracted to Mm. something, right? And it could be in beer commercials, it's the buxom blondes, right? You You just trigger that like happy emotion. Oh, I like that thing. Then it creates a halo that will allow you to be more susceptible or you, you would increase your liking, your judgment, uh, your even your critical thinking about whatever it is you're talking about. So simply surrounding anything with beauty or something that's attractive will twist and bias uh, your attitudes toward it, make you more favorable toward it. So is that why... Let's say people that are really fashionable kind of have a uh, like are generally more liked or at least influential, maybe. Okay, one of the most powerful, powerful effects in all of psychology is the what is beautiful is good phenomenon. Mm. And that point and that gets right out to uh, to what you're saying. When an individual is asked to evaluate another human being, let's say a job interview. Okay. So someone comes in, they're going to be evaluated. HR is going to evaluate them. It turns out that the um, applicant's physical attractiveness is going to really mess with the evaluation. Interesting. In in the sense that they'll get the advantage. So it's really incredible. There have been literally thousands of experiments that show that when people judge or evaluate the personality and value systems of people, that their physical attractiveness affects things like intelligence, how competent, how responsible they are, how nice, how warm, how friendly. It goes on and on and on and on and on. The pretty people are just accepted to be better. Interesting. And yeah. it's just a, like a subconscious thing. It's to- totally. Of course. And people in, aren't and, trying to do this on purpose, but it's just in our subconscious. Oh, the, the, thing, about these stu- the thing about these studies is that they, they tell these uh, you know, participants to, hey, uh, pretend you're an HR person and we are going to reward you for being accurate. Okay, so mm. so even when you say, oh, you're going to get like either more um, psychology points or more money if you're accurate, doesn't make the effect go away. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. you know, that's that's interesting. So when when it comes to uh, anything, you're basically saying not just in job interviews, but like in the classroom or as a parent or something like that. If yes. I bring something that's attractive to yes. my kids, for instance, like have a really cool things. Is it also include things or is it just physical 
any and anything that is attractive. So you're a dad. Don't wear goofy dad shorts. Right. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm, I, listen, I want to go on yeah. record. All right. Yeah. I don't want to live in this world. Uh -huh. OK. But human beings, we're stuck with them. So yeah. I'm, ju I'm just I'm just the, you know, the 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 messenger here. OK. okay? Yeah. I'm, I'm not ascribing to this. <laughs> right. But the truth is uh, it, it, all of your everything, your, your your entire life will probably start to improve if you just suck it up and make yourself prettier and put yourself together. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Anytime I've ever had to go to court for a ticket or something like that, I always try to dress up. Oh, yeah. And yeah. look uh, presentable in front of the judge mm -hmm. in hopes that he will be like, oh, OK, this guy, you know, looks like he uh, usually drives the speed limit and we'll forgive him for this one ticket. Works sometimes and other times it doesn't. It's funny. I hope you're, you're going to forgive me for this. But okay. uh, looking at you, though, I, I, I want to add something. Right. Okay. So you have this this um, uh, uh, round, happy uh, face. Thank and, you. <laughs> and in psychology, it's known as the trade as a baby face. Okay. Right. And uh, the opposite of a baby face are those faces with the really big jaw or yeah. chiseled noses. Yeah. Right. But you got a nice baby face, and it turns out there's some really interesting legal um, effects within the legal system, the judicial system, uh -huh. that uh, is is crazy. And and it goes simply like this: if you have a baby face, or, okay. or people who are on trial for baby face much less likely to be convicted of intentional aggressive crimes. Really? Yeah, but if you got that high testosterone, yeah. big chin, kind of big jaw face, then you're more like, likely to, to be convicted. Isn't that, that amazing? That's uh, absolutely amazing. And it's, uh, it's, it's crazy how we people work. Yeah. And yeah. it's crazy how something like that can go so far. Yes, yes. And, and the thing that, the reason why this is so important is that basically human beings like to consider themselves as thoughtful thinking creatures, mm -hmm. right? I mean, the worst insult you can give to somebody uh -huh. is to accuse them of not thinking something through, mm -hmm. right? There's right. always gotta be a reason. And so we are so uh, trained to value the thought process that we can't even accept the fact that anything we do is not thoughtful. The mm -hmm. truth is probably 99% of everything that we do is thoughtless. Really? Yes, all all automatic programming. Now, Which, but let me let me let me explain. If you think uh, about this, okay, okay. So think about just all the animals that exist, right, yeah. on this planet. Okay, right. How many uh, have thinking, thought, logic, reason, right? Few, very, very few. Maybe a couple yeah. of a couple of the maybe big an apes elephant and, or like a, or, yeah, ape yeah, or, or orangutan yeah, or something. Yeah. yeah. And yet these critters, right? have been hooking up together, having families, yeah. building houses. You know, it doesn't take any kind of logical thought <laughs> to get on with your life and have, you know, and feed yourself and, right. and store food for the, for, the, for the winter, for the bad times. And so, and, and what do we do all day? A lot of that stuff seems to be extinction. Uh, 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 what's the word? It, um Instinctual. Instinctual, yes. <laughs> yes. Over, over, you know, millions of years, yeah. right? Millions of years, animals have been programmed to live and to meet each other, fight each other. Mm -hmm. And so what are human beings doing that are so special? Well, we build houses. All right. We, we come we up with Wi-Fi. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Now that's different. Yeah. 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 So human beings yeah, can do algebra. Right. Yeah, and, that, yeah. and that's cool. But, but aside from doing algebra, right. everything we do can be done automatically. 
Yeah. I mean, like you said, uh, animals build houses. We build houses. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just a little bit more uh, sophisticated. Right. Um, they, but they, they do. The, they, 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 they meet the same requirements, right? Shelter yeah. uh, away from the rain. They're cool in the in the heat. Yep. You know, wow. I never right. thought about of things like that. Yeah, you know? I mean, yeah, we shouldn't be, take pride in the fact that we can get up and, and survive the day. I yeah. mean, uh, no, they, we don't need much thought for that. Do you think a lot of that has to do with, because we lived so long, um, kind of like as hunter and gatherers, and that our instincts is what kept us alive? Oh, ex- that's exactly right. Okay, so now and I'm going to get a little neural okay. on you, right? So... All in, you know, all animals, they have small brains, right, compared yeah. to us. And so what happens when human beings evolved and got intelligent, it just sort of added a new app, right, to the to the brain. Yeah. But the, all that other stuff that has kept us alive for, for millions of years, it's already there. So the only added value is this idea of consciousness and ability to, to think logically, right? But mm-hmm. that sort of added on many, uh, uh, most well, most animals are getting along without it, but that allowed that did something really crazy. It it gave us this sense of consciousness, mm. self awareness. Interesting. Okay, now there's the problem. Once we became self aware, right? Once once human beings realized, oh, I'm me, then they realized, oh, a lot of people cease. A lot of people just stop, right? Mm. And then you have to, and then you have to contemplate, you know, the end of your own existence, right? So that psychologists believe that really got the ball rolling and caused maybe uh, human beings to to get this belief or delusion that they were in control of their own bodies. Interesting. Yeah. So so that's what the, this course is. So basically, we walk around and we think we're running the show. We think we're the executive. We're we're in this in this thing, this 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 flesh and body, and we're calling the shots. And everything we do has a reason. The Truth might be closer to the fact that our bodies are just on automatic pilot mm. and we're this conscious operator, like a kid holding the wheel of a toy, you know, right. plane, and they think they're driving, but they're not. But for whatever reason, we have to believe we're in control. And so that's when really fun, interesting things happen. Um, before we continue, yeah. I do have a few follow up questions to that. Yeah. A. So this book, I, I might have mentioned it before, but I, I want to clarify to the listeners. This book and this class are strongly correlated. This class is based off this book. You are offering exactly. a class. When yeah. are you offering this class, by the way? Uh, this class is uh, beginning in the spring. Okay. And then it's, uh, depending upon the success, we'll offer it again. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, really quick, let's uh, go ahead and just let everybody know what uh, it's it's psychology. What it's psychology. It's three ninety nine, three fifty, three ninety nine, three ninety nine. Um, I think it's scheduled for Monday, Wednesday, Friday, two p.m. Okay, okay. People, so people and can look spring. it up now. They can look it up now, right? Okay. And they can find it. All right, and, you guys and, hear that? Go on to class search <laughs> psychology three ninety nine. Yep. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Monday, Wednesday, you're Friday. You're teaching it. Yep. It's called okay. influence and uh, persuasion. Influence and persuasion. Yeah. Man, I wish y'all had given this uh, a few. Uh, terms ago when I had some electives available, I might see, uh, hopefully if it re- meets a requirement of a back core, I might wait to take one of my back cores till next year and then kind of fall into that. Cause that's great. Yeah. I love self-help books. Yeah. I've read uh, the art of seduction. I'm about to start reading in this summer, the uh, 48 laws of power. 
Yeah. Uh, written by the same author. Um, also, How to Win Friends and Influence People. It's a great yeah. book. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned that last episode. And and now this. You know, even if I don't take this class, I might I might read this book. Yeah. Now, let me, let me tell you, there's kind of a paradox here, which is okay. really pretty interesting, right? So I teach this class and it's all about, you know, manipulating people and how and how uh, we ourselves are manipulated, right, unconsciously. Mm. So the first thing that that people ask is, damn, not Renary, you must be great at buying cars because you know all the tricks, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. Well, the way this works, it is automatic. So even though I would be called the expert on how to complete the sale, right. if I'm there, I can't get out of it. It's it's like being a physicist, right? Y- you know gravity. All right, well, just because you know the laws of gravity doesn't mean that you can violate them, Or defy right? right. right. Yeah. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So here I am, I know exactly what's going down and yeah. I can tell you exactly what happened mm-hmm. after the fact, but when I'm in the situation, Cannot control it. Takes practice, though. I mean, at least to at well, least they're, try. They're, they're tactics. You can. You okay. can. You can get. Because I remember when I read the um, the Art of Seduction, and for all you guys out there, the Art of Seduction is written by an author, a doctor of psychology. I think his name is Mark Green, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. Um, but uh, it basically like talks to us about the different personality traits mm-hmm. of people and there's there's quite a few of them actually and what it what it goes into depth about is kind of recognizing yourself and yeah. what kind of personality you have and what kind of personalities are out there and how your personality and their personality um, can either clash or get along based on what you say and it mentions in the book over and over that you know it takes practice to to get to that point to where you can control how your personality is reacting to other people's personality because there's so many factors that play into yeah. uh and that play into it on how you like sometimes you repel from certain personalities or you're attracted to it and maybe your attraction can br- can be not necessarily a good thing but a bad thing because they may be able to manipulate you and vice versa and stuff like that and so I could see how this is the same way I think though the first step is great of recognizing um, yep. you know, the personality yep. or the, the, the different mechanisms and techniques to use to be a better salesman or to be a better a marketer or be a better politician or parent or whatever mm-hmm. it may be. Um, and so I'm, I'm actually really excited to take a take a look more in depth into this book. Yeah, right. In case you made though a really interesting point. So um, when it comes to, to, to any kind of profession, mm-hmm. knowledge is power, right? Yeah. Knowledge is power. So that's step one. But then what you also are bringing to the table, which is absolutely true, and most people don't realize this, is that execution requires practice. Just because you take a lecture on advanced piano, that doesn't mean you can play the piano, all right? You (laughs) got to get there and practice. And so that's really what it takes. So you can't just like listen to a lecture and then go, oh, great, my life has changed. No, it takes work after that. It definitely takes work. I remember when I first started uh, reading that book, um, it really helped me interact with people a lot better, the, the, the art of seduction. And... I remember the first few times I was trying to use some of the techniques in there to get people to kind of agree with me on things. They could see right through me. Yeah. They could see, they could feel that I was up to something. Like I wasn't like (laughs) trying, I wasn't being genuine. And it notes in there 
over and over. Genuineness is key. Genuineness yeah. is the is the real uh, influencer. You know, when yeah. you're genuine about something and uh, and not having ulterior uh, motives and right, stuff right. like that. But what is genuine, right? Right. I mean, that, that that's it. Like everybody knows what genuine is, but you can't describe it. Yeah. You see I mean, it, what yeah. I think a genuine means is just being myself. Mm-hmm. And and when I speak, I speak with meaning rather than uh, shallowness. Right. I feel like I it's part of me that's talking about this. But then it goes right. back to the whole automatic thing. Right. right. Well, well, <laughs> I, I, what I, uh, it's the perceiver has something to do with it. Right. So you mm. can be genuine. Yeah. And so that's one issue, genuine or not. But then it's how are other people seeing, perceiving you. Right. So so that turns out to be the most important. But you get people to perceive you as genuine much more easily when you are. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. All right. So let's move to the next step. What's the next um, mechanism? Okay. Well, um, the, uh, I guess a basic mechanism that we yeah. kind of take for granted is uh, just authority. Hmm. So this is kind of interesting. So you here in America, you know, we like to confront authority yeah. and be our own person, uh, people. But the fact is that uh, human beings are very sensitive to and responsive to powerful people, people in control. Um, and we do this at an unconscious level. So, so for instance, uh, there's been there were there have been some cute studies where you dress somebody up in uh, one of these like uh, fake security uniforms, look yeah. like a policeman. Okay. And you can even though it's clearly not a policeman, right? right it just has the, the you know the shiny buckles and right. the a couple they, badges maybe. Right. Right. Yeah. And 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 individuals dressed like that can go into like down Monroe Avenue and just you know direct traffic. And, and tell people pedestrians and people and people will listen. Yeah, yeah. People Even though will it can be completely fake. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And and you know, like it, it occasionally, if you do it like a hundred people, someone will go, "Wait, what?" And then make a joke. But the but the the masses will just sort of respond automatically. And it seems like that's been throughout history. If you, when I read throughout history, and even in the most progressive of progressive empires and countries, there's always been a one, like a head. Yes. Even yes. when there's yeah. groups of people, they're still ahead of that group. Always. And it's Always. like we seem to, in our nature, to want to follow one person. Well, you know, there, but there's a really uh, important, effective reason why that should be true. And that is if you're going to live with others, mm-hmm. you need to coordinate it somehow. Have right? to. Yeah, a, a football team, you need a quarterback. You right. need a captain. You need a coach. You need a manager. You need a coach. Right. I mean, and, and that's just, otherwise we can't go all get in, you know, through the door. Right. So that's how that. So in order to be social critters, in order for us to have culture, we have to be attuned and responsive to leaders and to those in control. So that's not that's great. But the thing is, because that's instinctual, sometimes uh, we can do horrible things unconsciously. So the Mm. most famous example of that is the Stanley Milgram's obedience experiments. Okay. Okay. So this is going to to blow your your mind. You listeners ready. (laughs) All right. So here's a simple question. If someone told you to kill another human being, right? You'd go, well, what is my life at stake? Is my, you know, my My family, my family, are we at war? You know, soldiers have to do that and uh, law enforcement officials and stuff. I'm said, nah, just because someone told you to do that. And the next question, well, who? The President of the United States, right. Gandalf the Wizard. I mean, <laughs> who's telling me to? Yeah. And, and we say, oh, no one. 
and and maybe the next question is, well, am I getting paid for this? And like, <laughs> you sick bastard, why would you, you know, that, what has that got to do with it? Okay, so this guy in the 1960s, right? Okay. He was uh, actually trying to figure out how in the world the Holocaust in World War II happened, mm. right? Right, how is it? That you know, guards can like um, allow just, this just stuff allow to this stuff to happen and, and push in you know, all these atrocities, kids right? and women and men. Exactly. Yeah. And and so you know, how the heck does this happen? So he so he he started a couple of years of research and and um, here's here's what he did. He set up a situation where he put an ad he puts ad in newspaper says, hey, come down to the 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 campus. We're gonna uh, do an experiment on teaching and learning. We'll pay you twenty bucks. You know, spend a couple hours. They uh, people bring in uh, come into the lab, okay. and they're not students. They're just you know random people. Ra- random people. Okay, right? come in. He says, look, we are studying the effect of punishment on learning. Right. Hmm. And since we're scientists, right, we have to standardize and figure out and quantify uh, punishment. So we use electricity because it's really power. It's easy to control. And we, we you know, we, we've got it. So he brings people in uh, two at a time and he says, OK, one of you is going to be the teacher. One of you is going to be the student. Um, the student has to memorize words and uh, teacher, you're going to teach them the words. And when and then we're going to give a test, multiple choice test. And if every mistake that the student makes, teacher, we want you to punish the student and uh, mm. we'll, we'll, you know, tell you how much and, and you progress. Right. And so. All right. So that's the premise. And, and you know, they, they um, explain it like, well, people, parents use punish, punishment, teachers use punishment. And so it's really important to, to right. you know, learn how much. OK, so this wasn't a uh, teaching experiment at all. Milgram, this researcher, just wanted to know how far and how much of a shock would a person be willing to deliver to another human being if this experimenter told them to do it. Mm. So the shock generator goes from 15 volts to 450 volts, which is lethal. The board, the shock generator, uh, is has a bunch of toggle switches, and it's clearly marked, you know, 120 volts. Now think about this: 120 volts—that's a yeah, that's your electric shock, socket, right? Right. 240 is what you plug in your refrigerator and um, dryers, right? Into 450, it's like forget it; it's lethal. You okay? can die from it. You can die from it. So they sit these people in front of of the board. The um, the student uh, randomly chosen, right? Students in another room, and the experiment begins. And it begins kind of boringly. They're just reading the, uh, you know, a bunch of words and asking the, uh, you know, the students to uh, memorize them. And everything is going pretty uneventful. Then the first mistake happens and the experimenter says, okay, you have to push the, you know, the first volt. And it's 15 volts. It's like a little, you know, vibration, nothing. Uh, more time goes on. It goes up to another mistake. It goes up to 30 volts, to 45 volts, um, to uh, 60. And... Milgram watched when he ran it the first time that people followed his instructions and shocked all the way up to 450 volts. Wow. Now, this was done in kind of a strange situation where the that where the person getting the shock wasn't was getting a, the full four hundred. Yeah, yeah, it was it was all staged. It right. was all staged, but the person didn't realize it. And in fact, in order to stage pull us off, they had to put the the student in another room, right? So it it, it was in a con- so the teacher was in a control room, just like we have here. There's a right. big bank of buttons and stuff, and so okay. the the person was just switching it. 
So Milgram like thought there was something wrong with the procedure when this first person that, that he ran, you know, shocked the person, and he goes, uh, you know, "Just let let me get this straight. I mean, you realize that the person down the hall was getting the shock, and the guy says, yeah. And, and he says, you see the board, it says 450 that, you know, XXX, this is danger, lethal. Yeah. And you pressed it, and the guy, and the guy says, yeah, and why'd you do that? And, and the guy says, well, you told me to, and I figured you know wow. what was going on, right? And so Milgram was blown by this, and he, and he runs a couple of people. See, the reason why he started this was that he thought he would have to, like, do things crazy to get people to throw the lethal mm, switch, like, right? Like maybe threaten them threaten, with punishment. Exactly, punishment. exactly, right. And he wanted to see, you know, how did the Nazis do it, right? Mm. How did they get these people? And so he designed this study, and he, he, you know, he had a whole repertoire of things he was going to go with them, pay them, threaten them, et cetera. And what happened was his, his, first, his first 18 people went all the way to the end, and then he said, holy crap, I'm going to have to, like, figure out how to stop these people from right. following instructions. Now... To be fair, all of them said reasonable things. Well, here, this this all occurred at Yale University. Okay. Obviously, you know, doctor, you wouldn't let me kill somebody. I trust they you. They had faith in... Yes, you are the authority. You yeah. are the expert. You're wearing a white lab coat, for God's sakes, right? So all this happened. But still, Milgram was like, yeah, but you're... <laughs> I mean, you got to think at some point, yeah. right, for yourself. So then he did something that was brilliant, and wow. that's why it's it's famous. He He created the another condition where he um, had created a fake video of the guy actually screaming in pain, hmm. right? Like getting the shock, right? Ah, right? And then the worse, the higher it went, the worse exactly. the reaction was. Exactly. Okay. And then it went so high that the screaming stopped. Okay, so imagine you're giving electric shocks and everyone is, every shock is stronger than the next. The screams are getting wild, then hysterical. And then the screams, because it's, it's, it's Mike, the guy saying, let me out. You have no reason to be here. Ah, stop this. I refuse to go on. Help, help. And just screaming, right? Yeah. So imagine that. And, and then and, it stops. And then the person can hear? The person can hear. Yeah. Yeah. The person can hear, can't see, right? They can hear it. But they can hear that. And, and then, you know, no one's happy about this, right? And, right? and Milgram actually filmed it because he said no one's going to believe this experiment. So he filmed these participants going through this and they're unhappy and they're freaking out and they're like, I, I don't think we should continue. The guy's obviously in pain. And the experimenter, cool, calm and collected and is saying, no, I'm responsible. Uh, the person keep going. Uh, keep going. That's all they say. Keep going. Right. And what happens is 60%, six out of 10 people kept going. Kept going. Wow. Kept going. Okay, that, that's a mind blower because no one, no one believes that the typical person would absolutely murder someone. But Milgram said they do. Over just a simple command. Command, command. Now, what is the command? Do it. That's the only command. Now, for the love of country, right. nothing's at stake. So if adding more factors probably would increase the odds. Easy. To 10 Easy. out of 10. Easy. Or 20 out of 20. Right. Now, so he, here's the statistic, right? Six out of 10. So four out of 10 did. Yeah. Four out of 10 said, hey, you're crazy. Yeah, Wait, I'm what out. the hell's going on? I'm out. Yeah, yeah, I'm out and I'm going to call the cops on you because this was is crazy. A, yeah, but that was like simple instructions. Yeah. I can only imagine if they were doing it for their country or they were doing it for- That's the point. Yeah. That's the point. You had the reason. But what's really bizarre is that- no reason is necessary to do yeah. it. See, that's that's where people get wrong. We have to have reasons to do horrible things. Right. No, we don't. No, we don't. Interesting. It's just authority. 
you're in charge. You told me to do Simple it. Simple, okay. basic command can yep. get. And, and when they ask people, why did you do it? Yeah. They all said the same thing. He told me to. Wow. So the moral of the story is, if someone tells you to do something, don't necessarily do it. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. You're thinking, you're I'm shocked. Yeah, yeah. Like, you, like, I'm almost lost for words, actually. Like, I'd never heard about this experiment before. Right. And, and let, me, crazy. let me say, it's not one experiment. This, this was so uh, amazing that immediately they had to replicate it. They go to other countries. Right. Now, different countries have different obedience rates. Mm -hmm. So guess what? At the, in the Soviet Union, the, yeah. the, the old Soviet Union communist country, Probably 10 out of 10. obedience went way up. And what's interesting there is that when they asked people, you know, why'd you do it? Um, they said, well, I'm a good citizen. Mm -hmm. you, would, you would be a weak, selfish person if you didn't obey. Wow. Yeah. And then there are other cultures that where their obedience rates is much less. Here in America, we're about in the middle. So, but but in, in general, 60% of the people don't need a reason. Don't need a reason. Other yes. than an authority figure telling them to do so. Yes, yes, yes. Now, the, the couple of things, the authority figure has to be, uh, you know, set up. They have to believe that it is a genuine uh, authority figure. One of the cool things Milgram right. did was he, in the middle of one of these conditions, he had somebody down the hall walk by and the experimenter said, hey, I got to leave. Do you, you want to finish the, the, this study for me? And the obedience uh, ended ended there, which meant that, you know, you have to have that illusion of authority. Interesting. So yeah. someone else came in. Someone part else of the came experiment. in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, Joe, I'll take care. You know, yeah, I'll, I'll take care of this. You can yeah. leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're and like, no, right. we're not listening. Right, right, right. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> insane, actually. That's let's right. Hope that's right. That, um, let's hope that with this, a lot of people will learn to, uh, you know, be obedient, but within limits. Okay, so, right? so yeah, I mean, but but that's it. If you so vigilance. Are animals are animals similar when it comes to like following a leader? And I get that there's like leader of packs, but like they don't do it kind of like the way we do it, right? Like there's like a, a supreme. You'd have yeah, I you'd have to ask the you know the, it the just, biologist. It's, it's odd to right. me how we morphed into that. I mean, if we if you look at it from the theory of evolution, at what point did we go from just feeding for ourselves and just trying to survive and mating and eating and sleeping to to that. Well, it, it must have been when we started to form communities, right? So, so the, this occurs not for so uh, not for individual critters like a, a bird, but when you have a pack. Mm -hmm. Just just think of you know pack of dogs, right? Yeah. The alpha dog, right? So that that but we're it, just larger scale. We're just larger scale, and and you know more complicated now. We have like um, abstract re, uh, thoughts and and things. We can tell somebody what to do in the abstract. But but just think of you know what happens like in a bank, whether or yeah. not to give a mortgage, right, or insurance, whether or not to pay a claim. Your mm. boss tells you no, deny this medical insurance claim, and it, it could mean life and death. Right. And yet, oh, I'm just doing my job. Or it, all the they qualify for all the with all the they qualify for all the criteria. And the boss still says no, exactly. and you say no because yeah. the boss said to. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's how we justify it. We rationalize it. You know, well, it's my job. What else am I supposed to do? Yeah, yeah. I uh, so I work <laughs> during the day. You yeah. know, I work um, uh, at Safeway, and uh -huh. um, I just right now just doing a cashier position because um, it's a it's a pretty simple job. 
And with school and podcasting and family and stuff, I don't need something that <laughs> requires a lot of thought because I'm using my brain power all throughout the day. <laughs> but to relate to what we're talking about, um, so I have to ID people when mm-hmm. they buy alcohol, right? And sometimes people do come down my line that appear to be of age. But our rule is that anybody who looks under 40 must be ID'd. Yeah. So somebody who's in their early 30s is obviously over 21. And I would say about 30 to 40% of the time when I ask people of that age, it's like it's like a certain age. It's like between the age of like 22 or 23 to like 29. And yeah. then once they hit their 30s, people actually like when I ID them, right? Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. But in that age of like... I'm 23, I'm 29, (laughs) how are you still IDing me? They get upset with me. And even though I know that these people are of age, and most of them, I've already ID'd them two, three, four times in the past, because a lot of our customers are return customers, but it's my job to do that. And I have to follow rules, right? Yeah. And even though some people, even though if I were to like, really just look at it rationally, I don't need to ID the person that I ID'd four or five times. Yeah. I don't need to ID somebody who looks over 21. Obviously, somebody who's 28, 29 looks more older than uh, than someone who's 20, 21, you know. But yeah. it's my job, and I have to I have to follow the rules. Yeah. So you're a nice guy. You would never go, you you don't enjoy poking people or I causing pain right. or physical or, or emotional. This is a sort of a metaphorical poke. You're just making somebody feel kind of bad for a couple of seconds, yeah. right? But there's it's no not intentional. Yeah, and and there's no reason to do it, and it's even against your nature. Right. But there it is. I gotta, yeah. I got, I gotta be obedient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and what's interesting Weird. is I agree with you, even yeah. when it's completely irrational. Yeah. You know, like like come on, clearly this guy's in, you know hitting thirty. And this I gotta one do lady this. was like. She, she looked at me. She's like, look at my wrinkles. And then she like bent down. She's like, look at my hair. And she like split her hair open to see her ends that are like turning white. And I was like, and, I, and it took me aback for a second. I was like, wow, this lady's really offended, you know? And I, and I told her, I said, I was raised. I got her with this one. This one was like a little uh, poke back. I said, I was raised not to judge people by their looks. So yeah. can I please have your ID? <laughs> she was like, well, I appreciate that, but here you go. <laughs> nice save. Nice yeah. save. Um, uh, but anyway, moving on. Next next question. Um, what is the third one? Talk okay. to us folks about the third one. So, third uh, mechanism. So one of the, the most powerful mechanisms that human beings aren't really aware of is their... Um, not tendency, but their but their uh, need to be consistent. Okay, and wait, what wait, I mean, say that again. The, the uh, human beings have a need to be consistent, and what I mean by that okay. is we assume that we are the same person today that we were yesterday hmm. and the day before. And if we like vanilla ice cream today, mm-hmm. we liked it yesterday, and it was always the same. So. It is so important for us to be consistent mm-hmm. that we kind of delude ourselves into thinking that we are probably more consistent than we really are. And that pressure causes us to do crazy things. And w- one of the major implications of this is that our attitudes, when someone asks us, you know, what do you like? Why? There's a, a, a really amazing research that shows we have attitudes that are consistent with our behavior 
it's not the case that we behave consistently with our attitudes. Mm. In other words, most people, when you, when you talk to them, they think, oh, I do this because I like to do this. I don't do this because I don't like that and I don't care for it. Mm -hmm. And so there's an implicit cause that, okay. that, that we assume we do things because of our attitudes. The, the opposite is probably more true, <laughs> that we are doing things. And when, we, when someone asks us, you know, why you're doing it, we just go, oh, because I like it. And but Here, All right, all right. The, the, but the, really it's because we've been consistent with it. We've been yeah. doing the same thing over and over. Yeah. And then when we're asked, why do we like doing it? We really don't know why. Yeah. Other than yeah. it's a uh, habit. Okay. So, Is that what you're trying to say? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, um, one of the great marketing examples of this, if you take a business uh, uh, class, you, you probably heard this. It's the, 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 the great Coke Pepsi battle, mm. right? So for, for uh, you know, decades, there was Coke and Pepsi, and then Pepsi had, this was like before um, your, your listeners were born, mm. I think it was like in the 70s, they had, okay. they, they had a, a, a taste test, a taste challenge, right? I remember so, hearing and reading some articles about that. Yeah, so, yeah. so here's the thing. Now, one of the things about at the time, people uh, were totally uh, you know, all in. They were either Pepsi or Coke drinkers, and you couldn't give them, you know, they would ask, you know, Coke, if you don't have Coke, I'm not, I don't want Pepsi, right? Right. So you have these beliefs. So then the taste test happens. And Pepsi found out, right, that Coke lovers actually preferred the taste of Pepsi in a blind taste test, right? So Coke's not dumb. They went, oh, okay, right. People like sweeter uh, soda, so we'll change it. And they came out with, you know, the new version of Coke. And people who in blind taste tests liked the new Coke better when they were told, here, this is the new Coke, they rejected it out of hand. It was a disaster. Even though Coke made the soda that people liked better, they, they rejected it because it was different. Because it looked different? No, it just, it, they knew. It was different. It tasted different from what they So what they the blind test, so let me get this straight. The blind test showed, the results showed that more people liked the taste of Pepsi. Yes, yes. And so, so Coca-Cola came out with a tastier or a sweeter drink. Exactly. Yes. And then that, that, that they, they thought the people might enjoy more. Yeah, they thought that because they knew that. So because all of the blind studies. taste yeah. tests knew that. So then you have the consumer who for years, they grew up on this tasting, uh, this uh, Coke, right? right? This taste. And they, even though in a blind taste test, they would prefer the other, when the new Coke came out, it tasted different. And they said, well, hell, I, I, no, what'd you do with my Coke? Bring me my old Coke, Coke back. back. And then Coke said, yeah, but you don't like the old Coke. And people said, F you. Yeah, give me, the give Coke. me my Coke yeah, because they yeah. were, that's what they were used to. Yeah. So, so here's the point. The, the point is that people thought they were Coke lovers yeah. because Coke was in their fridge. And they always order Coke. Not because they like the, ta the, the, the taste, taste of it better, yeah, because yeah. that's what they're used to. Yeah. So right now, nowadays it's all vodka. What do you mean? Well, the, it, interestingly, you know, they, there are some premium vodkas out there okay. and alcohol, right? And I'm not a drinker, so you're gonna have to talk to me like I don't know anything about alcohol. Okay. Well, okay. well, straight vodka, vodka is clear, odorless, tasteless, right? It's just you know uh, vodka. But the, a lot of people, a lot of uh, companies are getting really rich by selling super premium vodka, right? I mean, okay. I think Grey Goose was the first one that sort of, you know, went down this path. 
And as soon as they started marketing this superior, uh, you know, vodka that that cost maybe four times more, right, than the than the Smirnoffs <laughs> right there, people went all gaga. It was a really a hit. So then uh, these clever researchers said, "Oh, okay." So they got a whole bunch of vodka lovers together, right, and it, it did the blind tape. Taste test. Okay. okay. So, you know, what's your, do you have a brand of vodka? Oh, yeah, great goose. Yeah, right. yeah, I wouldn't this, touch that. that other swill, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so they they do this blind taste test, and it turned out that the cheap vodka was the one everybody liked. No one liked in the blind taste test the great, the great goose vodka that they all swore by. That, that was, yeah, yeah. So they don't even know what's <laughs> in their mouth, for God's sake. You hear that, guys? You, you great goose drinkers, you might not even like it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You just like the name. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Uh, uh, but then what do you do with this information case, right? So then, so then that's why this course is important. So then it changes your whole life approach. So yeah. you got to start questioning yourself. And you can do these experiments right. on yourself. You can figure out, you know, what, what's better. I think the better that we know ourselves, the better we'll be treating others. Yes. Um, you know, the golden rules is, uh, is to treat others, um, kindly, I guess. Is that the golden rule? What's the golden rule? Uh, treat others like you would want to be treated by them. Right. And then, uh, I think, I think the platinum rule is treat others how they want to be treated. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's nice to treat others how you want to be treated, but like treating others how they want to be treated is they may not enjoy, uh, you know, the way like I don't mind when people tease me. Right. I think it's a sign of like with my my male friends. I think it's a sign of the way we bond by teasing each other. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but some people aren't uh, they don't like that, you know, and um, and I and I respect that of others. And so but, uh, this actually leads into another weapon of influence. OK. Yeah. Uh, uh, there <clears throat> the one of the ones that we haven't gotten to yet. And I hope there's time is uh, reciprocation. Okay. So this is the other thing that, again, probably evolved in humans because we're uh, social critters. And that is the reflex to treat people exactly how they treat us. Hmm. Okay. So one of the great things or great ways that anybody out there could, uh, could play with, could experience it, is that when you are a pedestrian, you're walking down the sidewalk. Okay. If you, you know how, how you sort of, you know, someone's in a distance, you make eye contact, you look away. That, that, that's a little, little, little ritual. But if you do an eyebrow flash or just a little like, like head nod, like, you know, yeah. hey, nice day, right? You're, right. Not, you're not communicating. You do that, you'll be amazed how many people will respond. Yes. Yeah. And, and that is an automatic, this, this, this social exchanges that we have. We are so programmed to reciprocate that that actually governs a large part of our life. And Interesting. The, the way that that is, um, impacts behavior is that if you receive from another person a big benefit or a gain, then you are you have that like debt in you that you have to pay back. This is why free samples work in supermarkets. You ever wonder, you know, people get is it to, to is it to give tests? But no, yeah. if the supermarket's giving away food, yeah. you're more likely to dig out your money and buy more. And buy it. Yeah. Uh, I worked in the produce department for a while, actually just recently until I started back up here in school and I would sample out fruits, mainly fruits, yeah. uh, huh. a lot. And if somebody asked me about a fruit, I would I would give them a sample. And it was a it was a company policy that, you know, offer samples is fine. You know, full you know, the whole fruit itself, and uh, n- almost ninety percent of the time, mm-hmm. if I sampled them a fruit, unless it was just the price was just outrageous, right? They right. would buy it. Yeah, I remember so many times people. 
red grapes are my favorite. And I, I remember so many times where people would just be wandering and I'm like stalking the, the grapes and I'm like sample and they'll, they'll take it and it's cold cause it's just cat month cooler, <laughs> sweet, it's ripe. And, uh, every time I think every single time I've offered a red grape, especially a red grape to somebody, they bought the bag it, and, and sometimes they're like three ninety nine a pound. And so it's amazing that you say that, that there, that's that an automatic thing response from people. Three ninety nine a pound, maybe three cents for that, for that one cold right. grape. Yeah. And, and had I not sampled the, that, they would have just kept walking. Yeah. yeah so you yeah. hear that safe way? I'm making y'all some money. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. well, you know, but, but it goes with, uh, with everything like compliments, yeah. you know, anytime you go, Hey, you're looking good today or Hey, you know, that was a nice comment or you're a good move, like your shoes. Mm-hmm. Then, it, then if that reciprocation, if that exchange is, is there, then you're more likely to pay it back. Before we move on, I just want to mention one thing. It's weird how compliments and, um, criticism works because let me try to get, let me try to iron this out correctly. When you get a compliment from a loved one, it doesn't hold as, I feels like with a lot of people doesn't hold as much value as a compliment from a stranger. Like a compliment from a stranger is like worth more, it seems like. And then when you get a criticism from a stranger, it doesn't hold as much weight as when a loved one criticizes you. It, it upsets people more when their loved one criticizes them. It should be the opposite, <laughs> I think, right? I mean, when my loved ones tell me that, you know, this is good about you or that good about you, it should hold more value than some random stranger that I probably never will see in my life. Yeah. Or, But when they criticize me or criticize us as, as people, our loved ones, it hurts more, it seems like, than when a random stranger does. When the random stranger, the one I feel like when they criticize you more, it should be like, oh, wow. They didn't have to say that. There must be something that, you know, is yeah. there a little psychology yeah. behind that? There's a, listen, there's a lot of psychology <laughs> unpacked. I don't know if I want to uh, go there, but but everything that you're saying, uh, well, a, a couple of things. One is it, it what you are describing probably varies from person to person. Mm. And, and again, you know, and for some people, it doesn't matter. All criticism is bad. Mm. Some people doesn't matter. All criticism criticism can be rejected because I'm just so great, you know. Right. So so there's all this going on. But what you but what you said, uh, people, ha- we we do know what's going on. A lot is uh, going to be impacted by how people explain the reasoning from it. So in other words, mm. so I can tell just the, the fact that you uh, feel this way about. Uh, criticism from strangers, you kind of assume that if a strange, perfect stranger is criticizing you, well, they just must be a jerk. I mm-hmm. mean, why Why would you do that? Why would you go out? Why would anybody go out and just give a criticism to a complete unknown? What's their motive? Oh, they just must be, you know, some bad person that they're doing it. And I dismiss them. And I dismiss them, right. Yeah. But that that's a theory of psychology that you're whipping on that. So that makes perfect sense. And it's an applicable theory, but not everybody might have that that theory. Right. So, uh, but the opposite goes for the compliments. Sometimes when a stranger comes, they had no reason they they didn't have to, they, they didn't have to. And so you probably think, oh, that's more sincere. I mean, they don't want you. They're not trying to get anything from you. So you can, in a sense, it's, it's valued because there's no ulterior motive involved. Right. And that's your theory about how that's going. And so it makes absolute sense that that's kind of a more valid, 
uh, praise. Interesting. Yeah. Than someone who loves you and just wants to protect your feelings because they love you. I mean, you know, I, I don't want people to think like when my loved ones tell me nice things that I'm just like, <laughs> uh, whatever. I mean, I believe it and take it and I love it. You know, and my wife tells me good things or my, my family or something like that about yeah, me. And you immediately say good things. Not oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, of course. You know, actually, when they do that, I feel kind of shy and humbled and like kind of want to, you know, kind of take the, uh, the attention off of me and put it back onto them just because, you know, I feel a little shy, but, but uh, I know, believe it or not, I do get shy from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people I, I can't I believe it. Your cheeks getting a little red yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah. You know, cause <laughs> I always get humbled when, when I get compliments from, especially from loved ones. All right. Um, for the sake of time, let's uh, move on to the next, uh, next mechanism. Cause I think we're at four mechanisms. Mm-hmm. There's the fifth and six. What's the fifth one? Um, well, the, there's really uh, five basic ones. The, the okay. last one I want to uh, yeah. uh, just mention is conformity. 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 Okay. It, it, it's the it's proof. They, they call it social proof. And the idea is that human beings, although Americans, the typical American hates conformity, you know, they we're all individualists, right, in this country. That's what we value. Truth of the matter is conformity is absolutely essential for any society, and human beings are absolutely sensitive to what other human beings are doing. And we tend to follow suit. Hmm. I mean, the very presence of of media, uh, you know, (laughs) Facebook, Twitter, uh, magazines, women. I mean, yeah, yeah. All all media is basically the manifestation of this principle, and that is, and that is whatever everyone else is doing, that must be normal. So then I'll do it. And Hmm. and, and there's bad aspects of that, right? So when everybody was smoking cigarettes, so that's bad. But there's also good things like, you know, when you go into, uh, when you travel, if you go into another country, right, you don't want to be the, the, um, the, the, the stupid, obnoxious American that just brings America rules to the table, right? You want to go. Or vice versa. People come here and, you know, they act. Exactly. Yeah. And, 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 but what is the most skilled, respectful thing to do? You just hang out and you watch what goes on and then you fit in. Mm -hmm. Right. And that, that we call that, uh, social skills. Yeah. And, and, and that is critical to make any culture, uh, work. And then, but the, but the, the downside is that it can be taken, you know, to the extreme and you can get, uh, conformity, um, pressures that are so strong and and we're not aware of it that we can do things that are maladaptive we can eat things or or uh do risky behaviors mm. uh you know just think about the you know the conformity that's taking place in our high schools with you know the drugs or the um the the smokeless cigarettes and, or eating know. tide pods <laughs> Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. That was a joke. Um, I'm glad that that fad's over. Um, But yeah, I mean, you're right. You know, my my wife's American and we're planning on um, if this coronavirus thing doesn't settle down by the summer months, we plan on going to uh, Jordan, the Middle East, um, where my parents live. And it's going to be her first time going. And she's really nervous. And I keep asking her, like, what are you so nervous about? Like, what? I mean, we're just going to go see my family. Yes, I have tons of cousins and relatives that will probably be inviting us over uh, to their house or coming over to meet my family and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I tell her, you know, what's so and she's like, I'm afraid that I'm going to break some of the cultural norms. Mm. And so I told her, I said, well, here's two things. One, you just got to you know, do as everyone else is doing. Like my mom's American and my mom's living there and she's been living there and she, she does great. And we all went down that path of, you know, 
doing certain things that are uh, that are in the cultural norm that are different from here. And I was like my sister and stuff like that. And I said, um, I said, second, you know, people there are a little understanding, uh, you know, of that you're American. Right. And that you don't know all the cultural norms and stuff like that. Not that there's many. There's a few, you know, like uh, sometimes like, uh, you know, the men and women, they kind of they kind of sit separate places when guests come over, not when it's family. You know, it's family. All of us. It's it's just like anywhere else, anywhere else in the world. And so she's a little bit uh, nervous about that. But I didn't realize that there was like actual terminology for that, you know, Mm. conformity of of falling. You know, what did you call it? The falling suit or, or following suit. You know, doing what everyone else is doing in around you or the term uh, when in Rome. Yeah, when in Rome. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And and uh, if you want to know the the most effective way to be a nice person, mm-hmm. it would be to simply follow suit with everyone you interact with. Right. I mean, you'd be amazed at how powerful uh, e- um, uh, mimicking or, uh, you know, the uh, imitation, sincerest mm-hmm. form of flattery it is true. So, and, and even at a physical level. So for example, if you are meeting someone for the very first time and for whatever reason, they talk really slow. If you start slowing down your speech <laughs> to match them, they will like you better. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. And this is a sense of conformity. It's a sensitivity. People are much more comfortable with anything similar. They're not as comfortable with anything um, that is uh, foreign, alien or different. So, uh, and this is all in the conformity. So basically, uh, people who conform are better liked. Mm-hmm. Better liked. I, I try to bring, you know, when it, uh, just to clarify, I, I don't think I finished the point. What I meant by, you know, uh, some of the cultural norms as the men and women separating, I, it, it only pertains to when formal guests come over, the women sit in their own section and the men sit in their own section. Yeah. So just to clarify that to you, to all the listeners, because I think I just touched on it and then I just zoomed past it. And I want everybody to understand that, um, which is a little different than here when people are invited, formal or informal, everybody gathers yep. together in the same room, eats, you know, on the same table. Well, uh, yeah, Case, let me tell you, growing up, Thanksgiving, Christmas, yeah. the kids had the little kitty table <laughs> at the end, right? Yeah. So they're totally segregated yeah. for right. that formal dinner. But I mean, that never happened in, you know, just family, family stuff. So, right. so yeah, the, these kinds of, you know, uh, rituals. It's, a, it's just variations. Of variations, it, right? Yeah. Different countries, different places and stuff like that. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Um, well, Dr. Uh, Benary, I really appreciate you coming back to the show. This was mind-blowing. This is amazing. <laughs> No, seriously, like I really am excited to read this book. Like I think once uh, once I'm not reading textbooks throughout this whole next uh, rest of this term and next term, uh, that'll be the first book I pick up. And can you find this book in the library? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's in every public library, too. It's a very common book. He's been writing it for, for, for decades. And, it, and the book revision. is called what again? It's Influence. It's just called Influence. Influence by Bob Cialdini. Yep. Are there audio books out there of it? I'm sure. Okay. I'm sure. So people can order it on Amazon and, yep. and kind of stuff. And then uh, just to kind of... Um, uh, touch back on the class. Mm-hmm. It's Psychology 399. 399. Offered uh, in the spring mm-hmm. and based on the results, maybe offered um, next sp- uh, next fall. Yeah, maybe it'll be and offered so again. so on and so yep. forth. Yeah. I think if whoever listened to this episode and has an elective will probably be signing up <laughs> because I really wish I could. And these things interest me. I love self-help. I love learning about myself and others and how our brain works because it's so fascinating. 
Yeah. There's so yeah. much knowledge out there about uh, us that we don't know. And we're just now discovering, you know, like you That's said, right. we're just the past 150 years been learning about ourselves and our brains and stuff like that. I always held the theory that we have always been like this, but that kind of plays into the fact that I believe in the Adam and Eve theory. And because I believe in the Adam and Eve theory, I believe that we have always been social creatures from the very beginning, right? Yeah. That yeah. we weren't necessarily cavemen, but I'm not dismissing the Neanderthal and cavemen. That, that could have been something that came prior to the Adam and Eve theory, right? Maybe mm -hmm. there was humanoids or human-like people living on Earth. And then when Adam and Eve came or sent down, uh, uh, maybe our race was more was more into intelligence. We knew how to use tools better. We knew how to. And so because, I mean, the yeah, fossils yeah. can't lie. Right. And, <laughs> and, I, and that's the type of person that I am. I'm not the type of person that dismisses one science fact because religion says something. Yeah. I believe that they are strongly correlated and they. Um, we just haven't found the bridges yet. Yeah. And and throughout time, we, we, we discover some and some we don't. Um, but what, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is that I've always thought that we've been social creatures. And I've always thought that it's difficult for me to comprehend that, you know, whether you look at Adam and Eve theory or you look at the theory of evolution, we've been around for at least 200,000 years, right? And both. One says we've been around millions and the other ones talks anywhere between 150 to 200,000 years, right? From Adam to now. And... Uh, and it's just hard for me to grasp that we just in the recent 10,000 years have, since we've discovered agriculture, have we been more social and more into the fine arts and more into the mathematics and stuff. And that for the 190,000 years prior to that, mm. we were living in forests and caves. I mean, the time span for me doesn't match up, but that's just my theory. That's just Case Lodzi's personal theory on things. I think yeah. that technology and warfare has brought us it's like waves right mm -hmm. we've gotten to the to the tip to the top i mean and we have destroyed ourselves because of our habits of corruption or our you know our, um, our habits of having too much power and then the one person ruining it all or nepotism you know you pass it on from son to son and then or, or daughter you know and then they ruin it and then we lose all this information and we get, send ourselves back a few thousand years, mm. you know, or we have something because I don't feel like, yes, maybe technology nowadays, like Wi-Fi and, and, and Internet and stuff like that may be a first on human race. But I feel like there might have been electricity at some point, you know, <laughs> for 100,000, 200,000 years, because it, it just look how far we've advanced in 2000 years. I mean, when, from Jesus to now, we've yeah. come a long way. Let's just say from the pharaohs to right now, we've come a long way. And that's only 5,000 years, maybe 7,000 years at max. Um, so it just, to me, it seems like we've been doing things that we would still do till today, right? Yeah. For yeah. hundreds of thousands of years. But, you know, our modern day science um, suggests otherwise. And I'm not dismissing yeah. it. I just uh, have a separate opinion. Well, you know, we've, we've always had families. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, so basically we're, you know, we're family critters and we had the villages. Right. Mm -hmm. And but what you said about, though, uh, you know, things changing, you know, over the over the years. Yeah. Technology is, is, is changing. And as a psychologist, though, I, 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 I am aware that technology is changing so fast that we don't quite know how people are going to be responding to it and reacting to it. And so the next 50 years is going to be just amazing when we find yeah. out, you know, right. what, is, what is the implication of radio, of, of internet, 
of Twitter. We don't know. <laughs> right. I really do think it will be, like you said, interesting to see, like my kids when they hit fifty and sixty, yeah. who've, who were born into. At pretty advanced technology, you know, not just the beginning of it. You know, like when I was a kid, it was just the beginning. There was no cell phones. Uh, there were, but, you know, it was only for the mega rich, right? And right. you had to carry a briefcase around and all that kind of stuff. And But, I, you know, video games, introduction to video games. Now my kids can play video games on the phone, on a tablet. You know, we have huge big screens and stuff like that. The common man can access, common man and woman can access advanced technology nowadays. And I would like to see, I, I, hopefully I'll be alive <laughs> to be able to see the long-term effect of that when my kids are 50 or 60. Yeah. But other than that, Dr. Frank, thank you for coming back to the show. Hopefully uh, we can continue this maybe another uh, another time, maybe next week or whenever you're free. I know you're a super busy man. I uh, would love to talk more about psychology and just keep this series going. Would that well, be a thing for you? Case, listen, it was a pleasure to be here. I love talking about this stuff, mostly because there's so much that people aren't aware of that we actually know. Yeah. So it's good to get out there and, and say, I'd love to, love to come back. Oh, and, great. Uh, hopefully we'll do it. Yeah. Great, because I'll be getting a lot of positive feedback and stuff like that. So right. other than that, uh, thank you for joining us. And all you listeners out there, thank you for, for coming back and joining us in another episode of The One Man Show. Um, next week, hopefully, we'll have Dr. Frank back on in the next week or so, whenever he's free, talk a little bit more about psychology and learn a little bit more about ourselves. Uh, once again, I'm Casey Lozzi, the host of The One Man Show. And as always, keep believing in yourself, and I'll see you next week.